Good morning. It's been a while since I was here. And I bring you greetings from your sister church in Denton, Providence Chapel. If you're ever near there on the Lord's Day, drop in and see us. We will not try to um, get you to move to Denton just to be in our church. So, it's a privilege today to fill in for one of the finest men I know, one of the finest pastors I know. You know, a sign of God's blessings on a community, and especially on a church, is when He gives them true shepherds after His own heart. And that's what He's given you. So I praise God today for the privilege of just supporting the church and Brother Kevin, let's turn our attention to God's Word in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. Now I want you to, I encourage you to pay close attention to this message because I'm going to say some things that I believe are very true. And you know, our familiarity with the Bible, I mean, how many of you know well the story of the prodigal son. You could tell the story to someone, couldn't you? You could walk through it. If you're a Bible reader, you know the story. But our familiarity can cause us to have blinders on sometimes to see deeper things that are here. So, I want us to read the chapter um, and I, I, I will... I'll not rush it, but I'm going to read at a good pace through it because I have to read the whole thing for us to see um, the message this morning. Luke 15, and I believe the key to understanding the chapter is in the first three verses because they give us the context. Why did Jesus give this parable? Was his mind primarily on a prodigal son? In other words, wayward kids? Lost sinners? Why did he teach this parable? The first three verses give us the clear hint of it. So I want you to really observe the reading here. Luke 15. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him... To hear him. Pause. Why were tax collectors and sinners attracted to the Savior? Was he aloof? Was he distant? Was he unfriendly? Or was it just the opposite? They were drawn. They were drawn like metal to a magnet to this gracious man who spoke their language, who welcomed them, who was friendly to them. They, it says, all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes, what did they do? They do what religious people who don't Love Christ do. They started complaining. 
the legalist. They start complaining and murmuring, saying, and look at this phrase, it's such a phrase of contempt. This man, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So, because of that, he spoke this parable. So who is the parable to? It's to those complainers who dislike God having a loving heart towards sinful people. The homeless people. The immoral people. The drug addicts. The riffraff. The bad, the bad, notorious sinners in Sherman all around on your street, in your workplace, the ones that are just kind of disgusting. The men who can't open their mouth without a curse word coming out. The women who don't know how to dress and are, can just kind of be grotesque. The teenagers around you that are just rude and ungodly and rebellious. It was the sinners... Jesus is talking about here that God doesn't despise. He doesn't hold it arm's length. He has warm feelings and love toward them. Verse 4. Here's the parable. And it's one parable, it's not three. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them does not lead the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulder rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. Pause. The other day I was driving to our, our prayer meeting in a house and in the road, in this farm-to-market road, was a calf standing in the middle of the paved road. Car's coming. I'm, I'm coming. The calf won't move. Everybody stops. And we finally honk him into the bar ditch, right? One lost cow. The police were called. The sheriff was called. And apparently they got put up. Do you think that farmer called his closest neighbors and said, Look, Come for lunch. The calf that was out is back in the pasture. You'd think, no, that's a weird guy. You don't do that over one animal that's gone astray. Well, Jesus is making a point here. This sheep farmer, out of a hundred, loses one. And what's he do? He gathers his friends and neighbors and said, let's rejoice. I've, I found my sheep which was lost. This is an exaggerated picture with a point. Keep following here. I say to you, verse 7, that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Now, pause. Are there just people who need no repentance? No. Jesus is saying those who think they're just and righteous and don't think they need repentance. All right. The parable continues. Verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, 
does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. The husband is not asked to search carefully for the coin. Men can't find things in a house right in, right in the same room. Right? She searches carefully. Ten coins, she's lost 10% of it. A little more important than one sheep out of a hundred. She searches carefully till she finds it. And then what does she do? Same thing. If you lost a hundred dollar bill, would you call your best friends over and say, hey, let's have a tea party. Let's have coffee. Let's just be happy over my money recovered. We wouldn't do that either, would we? It's an exaggerated picture with a point. All right, keep reading. Verse 10. Likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels when one sinner repents. Do we realize anytime a person is converted, hears the gospel, and God opens their heart and draws them, and they suddenly realize He's real, and they're convicted in their heart of their need. And by the grace of the Holy Spirit, they are drawn to Christ and they trust Him. And they're saved. Do we realize in that moment, literally in heaven, there's joy going on. The angels are rejoicing. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit are partaking of joy over this one that was lost and is now what? Found. All right, stay with me. Verse 11. A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his Possessions with prodigal living. Prodigal means what? Wasteful. This was a wasteful son and he wasted the 50% of the inheritance that he fully got. But when he spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in need. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have been glad to fill his stomach with the pods that the swan ate, and no one gave him anything. But here's the turning point. Here's repentance starting. When he came to himself, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. All right, here's a repentant heart. Choosing to act with repentance. He said, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just let me be one of your hired hands. And he arose and came to his father. That is repentance. Repentance toward God. He arose and came to his father. But when he's still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, 
and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no more worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupted. The father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, and bring the best calf, the fatted calf that's ready to be slaughtered. Kill it and we're going to have a party. We're going to eat and be merry. For this my son was dead in his love. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. We're going to stop there. So, this parable is not about the prodigal son. He's a secondary figure in the parable. The parable is about the prodigal son's father. How do I know that? Because the father is spoken of twice as much in the chapter as the son is. The son's mentioned seven times. The father is mentioned at least 14 times. And the reason I know it's about the father is because of the first three verses. The Pharisees were complaining that Jesus was warm towards sinners and He welcomed them. That's what they were complaining about. So Jesus is going to speak this parable to them to show them this. What God is really like towards sinners. What God is really like towards sinners. And we also need to think about today, are we towards sinners, sinful people, that turn us off, that are distasteful, that are, dis, that are uh, disgusting? Do we have a heart that's hardened, that's resistant, that doesn't care about them, that wants to pass by on the other side like the priest did with the man in the gutter that the Good Samaritan helped? Is our heart truly like Christ's heart toward sinful people? The parable is about the Father who rejoices to love sinners. And that's Jesus' point. This parable is a response to the Pharisees' stinking attitude towards sinners. And the fact that Jesus was always warm towards sinners. He was always open and approachable towards, with tax collectors, with harlots, with unclean people, lepers, you name them. Jesus was welcoming and warm. He's attracted to them. And they to Him. And He welcomes them and eats with them. He even lets unclean people touch Him. He even is at a dinner party there reclining and a woman with a reputation comes in uninvited, bends down at His feet and her tears are falling on His feet and she washes them and then she dries them with the hair of her head. That's our Savior. Would we be embarrassed if we were sitting there? Would we think this is wrong? Would we think, how, how could He actually do that? We don't know our Savior's love near enough if we, if we pause on that with some pushback attitude. Jesus had the right attitude towards sinners. And that's the point of the parable. William Hendrickson points out 
that we all, everyone will either have one of four attitude towards sinful people. Number one, to despise them. The Pharisees despised them. We ought to check our hearts. Do I have despite and a pharisaical attitude toward the sinful, sinful people that I know? And I'm just fed up. People can despise sinners. Number two, can be indifferent. Remember the priest on the road? He's just indifferent. He just crossed the other side. Indifferent. Are we indifferent? Jesus wasn't indifferent. Number three, the positive, the attitude of having a welcoming heart towards sinners. Now think about that. We have neighbors that are Roman Catholics that are as sweet of people as we've ever known. And we've, we've grown close to them relationally, friendly with them, I was given this fabulous birthday cake a couple of weeks ago from a friend in the church. And it was so good. I said, let's take some of this to Terry and Carol here and let's take some to, to our friends across the street, the Catholics. So we did. And uh, we've just gotten close to them over the, over the years we've been living there. And I... Back at the beginning of the pandemic, um, Linda talked to him out by the mailbox and recommended some video, some article, some sermon, and, and he listened to it and he responded in a warm way. And so I said, okay, I'm going in for the kill, spiritually speaking. <laughs> And we went, to, we went to lunch. And from the get-go, I said, I said, Timo, seemed like you had interest in what Linda shared with you. Yeah. He said, I just don't know if I'll be, if I'll be good enough for God to ever accept me. And it was a 45-minute conversation about the gospel over some good Mexican food. Tears in his eyes. And we got... We, he got a clear presentation of the gospel. And whenever we're out, I mean, we're on hugging terms now. He's, he's so um, warm toward us and his wife too. My point is, Jesus was actively warm towards sinners. Are we? Or is it stand at a distance, social distancing please, I won't get close enough to love you with the love of Jesus. That was the Pharisees. But Jesus had a welcoming heart toward them. The fourth attitude, the first was despising them. The second was indifference. The third is having an open, welcoming heart. The fourth is seeking after sinners actively. That's what our Savior did. And that's what's shown in this in this parable. Religious people who despise sinful people always grumble and criticize. So because of that, Jesus gives this parable to them. It's an in-your-face parable, really. He's exposing how wrong they are. All right. So let's work through this. 
um, at a good pace here. The first two parts of the parable are about a lost sheep and a lost coin. So the lost sheep, here's a sheep farmer. He loses one out of a hundred sheep. Um, so, you know, in ranching and farming, you leave one, you lose one percent of livestock. That's, you'd probably say, you know, to your friends, you know, that's, that's really good odds. That's really good percentage. Uh, my buddy lost 25% of his cattle, started to lose one sheep out of 100. That's, that wouldn't be anything to really worry about. But this guy loves this sheep, or he wouldn't have searched so long just to find him, and he wouldn't have called his friends to come and rejoice. This shows the love that this man had for one sheep. Second part is the woman with the coin. That moves from one to a hundred, one to a hundred to one out of ten. The odds are higher. The loss is greater. She searches and searches and searches, and she finds the ten percent of her money that she had lost. The sheep was valuable to the one who had lost it. The coin was valuable to the one who had lost it. But now the odds even increase. You go from from animals and money to souls. A father has two sons. Moves from one in a hundred, one in ten, to one out of two. A father had two sons, right? And we know what happens. But think about, think about the significance of this. Verse 12 says the father did this. He divided to them his livelihood. This means a full settling of the estate before the man dies. He divides it all up to both sons. Both of them get 50% completely. The father gives it early. And there's a point in the parable for this, for this to be this way. The son, the younger son, is given everything and we know what, what he did. He wasted it all and then he began to be in want. And so, this is an extreme, exaggerated parable. But the point is, Jesus is building on the value of the loss from going to one sheep, to one coin, to one son. He's building on the the drama, if you will, of the value of that which is lost to the owner. The sheep rancher owns a hundred and he loses one and that one's valuable to him. The woman loses one coin. That coin is valuable to her and she finds it. And the father had two sons. Where was, where was the greatest investment? In the one sheep, in the one coin, or in the one son? He's building on the drama of this for us to see the value of one and the heart of God toward that one who is lost. And he's certainly saying, um, how much more valuable is a soul than a sheep or some money? The heart and care of the seeker of that which is lost. So the primary point is number one. The parable is really about the Father and His, his loving heart toward sinners. 
you read the whole chapter and it's amazing to see there's not one negative thing the father does toward the, the lost son and there's not one negative thing he says to him when he comes home. That's strange. We probably wouldn't be that way. But the parable is teaching that to show us the extravagant, longing, loving heart of God the Father through the Father in the parable. Jesus is saying, this is how the Father is towards sinners. So the parable is about the Father. Unlike the Pharisees, who are only negative and critical, everything the Father feels and does toward the lost son is redemptive. Now, I have children. All mine are grown. And let's say you own a business, you own a farm, you've done well, and you only had two children, and one comes and says, I want my inheritance early. You probably wouldn't have done what the man did in the parable. I see some heads shaking. That's right. But this is here for a point. The point is, the father in the parable did this radical, drastic thing. Jesus tells it that way for us to see the father was free to release and this man couldn't control this son anymore and he's gone and the father probably knows and surely the older brother, he knows already that this boy is going to waste it all. But the point of the parable is that the father's heart is going to be toward this foolish boy because it says when he began to come home, what does it say about the father? He sees him. He sees him. Did he come out on the porch every night at sunset and look down the road? When he's coming, the father sees him. He sees him and Jesus says he runs to him, embraces him, weeps on his shoulder, welcomes him, and then interrupts his son repentance with an announcement of new clothes, new welcome, and a dinner party. That's the love of God towards sinners. Do we realize if Christ has saved us when we were dead in our sins, when we were unlovely, unlovable, distasteful, impure, depraved, loving our sin, hating righteousness, then in our sin, in our lost condition, as the Father began to seek us and to draw us, and we finally came running. Do we realize this is the Father's heart toward us? Do you and I realize the love of God, the welcoming, warm-hearted, weeping, rejoicing love of God was toward us when He saved us? God is a person. And He has perfect, pure, wonderful emotions of anger and justice and joy and love. And heaven rejoices over one sinner who comes back. That's what the Father feels. When you came to Christ, if you're a Christian, 
the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit rejoiced over you with singing. And every sinner that's saved today anywhere in the world, heaven is throwing a joyful gospel party. The Father, the Father's heart towards sinners is what's at the heart of the parable. But you you notice, secondly, briefly, the Son's repentance is toward the Father. The Son's repentance was pointed toward His Father. Look at verse 17 through 21 closely. And notice what it says about the Son toward the Father. But when He came to Himself, He said, How many of My Father's hired servants? He's thinking about His Father. Repentance is toward God. Our hearts turn toward God when we realize our sinfulness and we realize God so loved the world that He gave His Son for me to redeem me when I was yet an enemy. Christ loved me and died for me. Our heart in repentance goes toward the Father. The Son did here too. He says, how many of my Father's hired servants have enough? You go on and it says, I will arise and go to my Father and will say to Him, Father... And he arose, verse 20, and came to his father, 21. And the son said to him, Father. So the son's thoughts in his, in his alienation, in his guilt, in his shame, in his filthiness. You think he had had a bath? He probably still had, had hog food on his ragged, dirty clothes. He would have been filthy, probably could have been skinny malnourished. But he turns to the Father and he says the Son's thoughts and feelings and desires and chains of heart was toward the One who loves Him the most. The Son returns to the Father. And Jesus tells it this way, when He was a long ways off, the Father saw Him. This old man, perhaps perhaps joint pain in his legs. This old man's heart bursts and he starts running down the road to meet the sun halfway. Shame and fear all over his face, but here he is, he's coming home. And one dear man said this about it, quote, The glimpse of that distant lost boy standing looking at the farmhouse was enough for his father to run to him. The farmhouse door was left wide open, the farm gate unclosed, and those old legs full of pain running toward the boy. He reaches him. Words don't come through the sobs as dad's tears wet the dirty boy's cheeks, kissing him as he used to do when he was a boy. And the father probably felt in that moment, I never want to let you go again. That's what Christ did for us in our sin. When we came to Him, He embraced us, He washed us, He made us His own, and He has made many promises, I will never lose you again. That's you and the love of God toward you as a sinner. That's Christ and the love of Christ towards sinners today.
All was heavenly joy over His return. All was fatherly love over His being restored. And you see it through the the text. Another theme throughout the text is not only the Father being spoken of, but joy over sinners is spoken of throughout the whole text. Verse 5, He lays the sheep on His shoulder rejoicing. Verse 6, He calls the friends to rejoice with Him. Verse 7, there's joy in heaven. Verse 8 and 9, one lost coin is found, rejoice with me. Verse 10, there's joy among the angels. Verse 24, and they began to rejoice. Verse 25, there was music and dancing. They must not have been Baptists, they they were dancing, but we'll let them dance. And verse 32, the father said to the pharisaical older son, it is right to rejoice and be glad. The Father's joy in reconciliation with sinners. This is the Gospel. This is the heart of God in Jesus Christ toward anyone, however filthy and far off they are. This is the heart of God toward anyone who wants to come and who will come. God commended demonstrated His love toward us. And while we were yet in the far off country, Christ died for us. I've been reading through the Old Testament in my morning readings. Just finished Hosea. Hosea is about the the love of God toward sinful people. Hosea is told to marry a prostitute as a sign to Israel of the love of God toward a dirty bride, Israel. And there's a verse in Hosea that's so remarkable. To Israel, he says, in the context of sin and rebellion, he says to Israel, my heart is stirred within me. This is God saying through the prophet, my heart is stirred within me. My compassion grows warm within me. I cannot let you go. For I've redeemed you, you're mine. And then it says later, I drew them with cords of love and kindness. When you came to Christ, did you feel the loving cords of Christ drawing you? Did you realize, were you overwhelmed with the fact that Christ loved you and gave Himself for you? Has that ever been your experience? You know, you and I today as His child in a fresh way because of the Father's love toward us, because He does rejoice over us with singing, because His his joy is toward us, His positive love is toward us, He's for us, we should run fresh into the loving arms of our Father and just tell Him once again how thankful we are that He saved us and He ever loved us. And if you here today know in your heart that you're not a true Christian, you've never really believed yet on your own. You know you're lost. You know your sins aren't forgiven. You know that yet God is not your Father. And you know, yeah, now yet I'm not His child. If that's you... Here's what I want you to think about this morning. 
Do you view God the Father as loving you and wanting to save you? I'm talking about I'm talking to young people here. I'm talking to teenagers. I'm talking to adults, possibly. Do you view God? You know He's a God of justice. You know He's righteous. You know He's holy. You know He punishes sin. And because you know that, all the more important for you to realize today with clarity, God Almighty, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, loves me and His his heart is warm toward me and He wants me to come to Him and be forgiven. Do you view God that way this morning? Our views often of God is only stern. He's only holy. He's just just. He's a God of wrath. Those views only will keep you back in fear to not come. But this parable is here for the Pharisees and doubting ones to say, this is, this is what God is like. He welcomes sinners. He wants them. He's done on the cross the perfect work so they can freely come. Do you see yourself as being loved by God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ? If you do, the Father says to you, with the same loving heart that the Father was welcoming, looking down the road, come home. Come to me. I'll forgive you. I'll wash you. I'll cleanse you. Look, inside, apart from Christ, we're as filthy as that boy was in the far country. You need Him if you don't know Christ. Christ says, come to me and I'll give you rest. He says, come to me just as you are and partake of the water of life. What does it mean to come to Him? It means believing that He died for you. Can you, if you're not a Christian, can you say this morning, I believe in my heart the Lord Jesus Christ died not only for sinners, I believe He died for my sin. Can you tell Him that? Lord, I believe. I do know. I believe in my heart. You died for my sin. You bore my sin. And I want You. And I want to come. Here I am. When I was 19 years old in, in 1971, 74, I didn't know a thing about the Bible. But one night I heard the Gospel in a clear way and it hit me. And I wanted to pray. I didn't know how to pray. I was afraid. You know what I prayed? Jesus, I know You're the Savior of the world. I believe You died for me. All I have to give You is my sin and myself. Here I am. I'm Yours. And He saved me that night. There's not a sinner in this room who doesn't know Christ, that this day you can come home to the Father because He has a welcoming heart. He says, come. Come. Come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden. 
I'll give you rest. I'll forgive your sin. I'll make you my child. There'll be rejoicing in heaven if you come home to Christ. And here you are in a wonderful church under a solid ministry. Will you sit here week after week, month after month, hear the clear gospel and just go away and never choose like the prodigal. Come to your senses like he did. Follow his example. I'm going to rise and go home. I'm going to go to my father and he did it. And look what he had welcome waiting for him at home. Such a welcome. The fear of trusting Christ and choosing to do so will be far quickly washed away with the joy and the peace and the welcome of the love of God for every sinner who comes. I love I love that old hymn. I won't sing it to you. Maybe you sing it here. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in His arms. In the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are 10,000 charms. There's also 10,000 hugs and kisses and uh, songs of joy in heaven. I will embrace the Savior and He will embrace me in His arms. I hope this parable, this familiar parable, comes alive to you in new ways. Meditate on it. And if you're not a Christian, today, like Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today, I want to come. And Jesus said, today, salvation has come to this house. Wouldn't it be a a deep, amazing joy if you're not a believer before you lay your head on the pillow tonight you go to Christ and you say, Lord all I have is my sin here I am, I want you, Lord Jesus take me. He will save you He will forgive you and give you eternal life that's a deal it's a free salvation and it's a genuine offer and that's what Jesus is teaching in this parable let's pray together Father I acknowledge today that my words fall so short and they always do when when we open your word So I just pray you'd take the truth that is here and you would make it so life-giving, so real to our hearts that the heart and the love of God towards sinners would come alive to us. Lord, honor your word. Honor your Son and grant your blessing upon us today. Now may the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the communion of the Holy Spirit 
be with you all. Amen.